Thank you, Mary. Appreciate that song. I can remember about nine years ago, sometime about this time of the year, when Brother Jeremy came in view of a call here at Brister, associate pastor. I can also remember when I uh, introduced Brother Jeremy, I said, we have Brother Jeremy Langley coming to preach in view of a call, but it's a package deal. Because at the same time, that same Sunday, Mary is going to sing. So Brother Jeremy, before he stepped up to preach, Mary came and sang. Uh, and I'll never forget the first words out of Brother Jeremy's mouth when he stepped up to preach. He said, I'm glad she's part of the package. Well, we are too, and we appreciate the family uh, that God has given us, uh, Brother Jeremy and Mary and also Truett. Uh, been on board with us going on about nine years, and we appreciate their presence in the church. It'd be hard to imagine Brister Baptist Church without the ministry team that God has put together here. Be turning in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 2. Now, we won't read the scripture just yet. There's a couple of things I want to mention, uh, but Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be reading. First of all, uh, this tomorrow is June the 1st, which begins the next quarter of the Daily Bread uh, devotional guide. Now, we'll be meeting next week, and you can pick one up then. But if you don't want to get behind, what we're going to do is we're going to place these in a box on the windowsill of my office up under the drive-thru. It'll be protected, and you can just drive through and pick one up if you want to stay current with your reading of the Daily Bread. More than one person's asked about these, and I appreciate that. So you come through and get one, or they'll be here next week uh, as we meet. Another thing that I want to mention, uh, and uh, I know there's a lot of things going on in the news, but I, I don't cover everything, but I think this deserves a response from the pulpit, and of course we're all aware of the things that are going on in our country with the protests and riots uh, in response to the arrest uh, and death of a gentleman named George Floyd. He was a black gentleman who was arrested by a white officer, and while in custody, uh, he passed away. Several things that we need to uh, understand. First of all, the event of his arrest and death is disturbing to people of all races. It's disturbing to all of us. Uh, the protests and violence equally disturbing to all races and counterproductive because of the neighborhoods that are being des destroyed are, of course, uh, in the section of town uh, of the predominantly black neighborhoods and black business owners. Now, two things to keep in mind. Number one, the events that sparked all of this, the arrest and death of George Floyd, do not reflect the values and policies of all law enforcement. The vast majority of all law enforcement, the vast majority of these men and women in law enforcement treat everyone the same with professionalism regardless of their race and color. So to direct anger at all of law enforcement uh, is illogical simply because it's just a few individuals who are causing these events. Number two, the violence and looting should not cause us to develop ill will to all people of color because all people of color are not involved with this. While all people of all races are disturbed because of this, all people of color are not destroying communities. 
I personally, and I would say we, the ministry at Brister, uh, have friends in the black community of our county. And we stand shoulder to shoulder with them and work together with the work that we have with the food pantry and feeding hungry families. We work together and link our arms and make sacrifices for the backpack ministry, uh, the ground roots of that. We also work together with the homeless shelter and other ministries in Columbia County. We have partners in ministry, and I have friends of all colors. And therefore, what's going on in the cities across the country with the burning and the looting and the destruction, that does not affect my relationship and my attitude toward my friends of all colors. And we need to make sure we don't let this poison the well of how we respond to law enforcement, but also how we respond to others uh, that we work with every day. Now, before we read the book of Acts chapter 2, to fully appreciate the working of God on the day of Pentecost, it's important to do a little bit of history and to remember that right before this, in the days preceding this, the church had been given an enormous task. And to and appreciate what happened on that day, we have to remember that task. Chapter 1, verse 7, uh, verse 8, he said, You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And look at the task. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, big enough job, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's given this task to about 120 people right now. Twelve, of course, 11 now of the apostles are given this task. Of course, in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19, go make disciples of all nations. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke chapter 24, verse 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached to all nations, all the world, all nations included over and over. And of course, Luke mentions this, all nations beginning at Jerusalem. It's important for us to keep this in mind as we read the book of Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. 
we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, there's much more, of course, to what happened on that day, but that's where we'll stop. As we look at what's going on on this day, several things that I've noticed through the years. First of all, at times, this event is considered by many to present the signature activity of the Holy Spirit, and that is a spontaneous revival that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And let me admit, it's exciting when that happens. When this happens and revival seems to come and explode within a church or a community, we know the Holy Spirit is behind that. It seems sometimes that this is the signature event of the Holy Spirit, a spur-of-the-minute success. These days, sometimes, the day of Pentecost is viewed as the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work to promote the mission of the church. In other words, this is when the Holy Spirit showed up to work on behalf of the church. However, both viewpoints, if we narrow our focus of the work of the Holy Spirit just to the appearance of the tongues and the spontaneous revival, and as we look at this event as just the starting point of when he began to work on behalf of the church, it severely limits our perception of the Holy Spirit. And it is not the biblical perspective of the Holy Spirit. What do we find in the details of this day? And what do we find in the scripture to let us know that the Holy Spirit is much bigger than the day of Pentecost? First of all, this is not the beginning of the Holy Spirit's work in the New Testament era. As we look through the Gospels, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit early on. In fact, we're introduced to the Holy Spirit before the angel ever visits Mary with the announcement of the coming of Jesus that she would be the mother of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, we understand it starts with a priest called Zacharias. Zacharias is, of course, in the temple. And Zacharias is in the temple, and an angel comes and tells him he's an old gentleman, that he and his wife will have a son. This son will be the forerunner of the Messiah to come. And it is said in verse 15 of Luke chapter 1, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. So we realize his birth came even before the birth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit begins working even before the birth of Christ in the New Testament era. In chapter 1, verse 41 of, of Luke, Elizabeth with, was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary came into her house. After Jesus was born, in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 25 through 27, an elderly gentleman named Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not depart or die before he sees Jesus the Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Three times the Spirit's at work in the days immediately following the birth of Jesus. And of course we know the Spirit descended on Jesus Christ at his baptism. But even before that, as we'll see a little bit later, the prophets were moved by the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and David, on the judges. But we go back even before that, all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the waters. He was present in the creation. So we understand the Spirit was at work long before the New Testament era. But then here's where it really gets interesting. And this is where the day of Pentecost tells us this. The New Testament era 
is not the beginning of the work of the Spirit on behalf of the church. And you might say, well, wait a minute. The church had its beginnings right about in the days of Jesus Christ. But long before this, the Spirit was working on behalf of the church. Two things we notice. First of all, the timing of his outpouring on the church. Now, we identify the day of Pentecost. That's the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Well, that day was an important feast for 1,500 years before then. The day of Pentecost means 50th. It's 50 days after the Passover. That's what the day of Pentecost means. And, of course, we realize it was on this feast that the Spirit's timing came as, as far as the outpouring of the Spirit on the church. Now, you can imagine, Jesus had said right before he ascended into heaven, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you not many days after this. Now, you can imagine as they went back to the room where they were praying, you can imagine they were saying, well, when's it going to be? He said, not many days. Two days passed by, no outpouring of the Spirit. Three days passed by, a whole week passes by. No outpouring of the Spirit. And we know by the timing, a full 10 days go by, and it looks like Jesus has forgotten his promise. Realize, where's the Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit chose this day for a reason. And this day was in operation for 1,500 years. So we understand this event had been in place for 1,500 years. This is when the Spirit chose to appear in a mighty way. Well, what, what's the significance of this? Well, on the day of Pentecost, we realize it was one of three feasts through the years. And through the year, there was three feasts, and on each of these days, every Jewish adult man was required to come to Jerusalem if he lived within 20 miles. So we're speaking of the entire Jerusalem metropolitan area was present and active and alert on the day of the feast. Now here's a fact. And I told you these facts are important in understanding the significance of the day. In Luke chapter, uh, the last uh, chapter of Luke, I believe it's uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 47, he said, you will preach repentance and remission of sins to all nations. And he says this, beginning at Jerusalem. And then he says, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's your job. Jerusalem's a big town. How do you reach a town in a very quick way? Well, they were all in the street. They were all at the festival. They were all in a public place. They all heard what was going on with the sound of the rushing of mighty wind. No other day would you have gotten all the people at Jerusalem present in such a time as this. Now, this was not a spontaneous, haphazard event. The Holy Spirit had this plan for 1,500 years. For this particular holiday to be the day that he came, you had Jerusalem present so the disciples could be witnesses in Jerusalem in much more of a mighty way. But now let's look secondly on who was there. This is when it gets really interesting and really beautiful. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, watch this, from what? Every nation under heaven. What were the instructions? You make disciples of all nations. And Mark, you go into all the world. In Luke chapter 24, that remission, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in all nations. That's a big task. 
How are this limited amount of people going to go to all nations? Well, the Holy Spirit brought all of them to Jerusalem for this feast. This was the day the Holy Spirit produced the outpouring of His presence. This was the perfect day to reach all nations. Now, critics may point out, now wait a minute. People from all over the world weren't there, from every nation under heaven weren't there because they were... What about the New World? What about North America? What about South America? Well, we got to look closely. Look closely and see some things. First of all, as we begin to look at this, what he's talking about is the known inhabited world. But as you look at the details, and Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw fit to remember this quote. These men begin to name where they were from. And it's important to look at this. They said in verse 9, Parthians and Medes. Now the Parthian and the, the uh, empire of the Medes stretched at one time. It stretched all the way from the Mediterranean Sea on the west, east all the way to India and China. The Parthian Empire included India and China as well as the, day, the, the place right over in Judea and Jerusalem all the way down into Egypt. And the Medes, of course, took over this empire. And a lot of times you'll see them together in history, the Parthian and Median Empire. Those in Mesopotamia, specific, specifically Babylon, Mesopotamia means between the two rivers, Tigris, Euphrates, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria, all of that. Egypt and Libya are mentioned. That's northern Africa. And then Rome, Rome all the way up to Europe, the Roman Empire. So we have all the known inhabited world specifically mentioned with all of its various languages. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting because it says these were Jews and devout men. And it talks about these Jews coming from the Parthian Empire, the empire of the Medes, over in Babylon. How'd they get there? Why were they living there? Well, the Holy Spirit was at work hundreds of years before. Back in 2 Kings, which is a history book, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. Very interesting passage of Scripture. And again, you have to look at the details. Words are important and details are important. And there's a very interesting detail in 2 Kings chapter 17. We'll back up to verse 5. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala by the Habor, the river of Gozan. And listen to this. He placed them in the cities of the Medes, the cities of the Medes, who was present on the day of Pentecost. Well, it says the Medes were present on the day of Pentecost, Jewish people who lived in that area. 
Now later on in the closing verses of 2 Chronicles, this in 2 Kings happened about 700, 730 B.C. About 100 years later, in 2 Chronicles, it talks about the king of Babylon coming and carries away the, almost the whole population of Israel to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So we understand 100 years before, people were carried away to the, the uh, Mede cities. And of course, then they were carried away to Babylon. And they stayed there. And many of the people, when time came to move back to Israel, stayed. Many of them had grown up there. They were successful businessmen there. And so we understand Jewish people were scattered all over the Median Empire, the Parthian Empire, the Babylonian Empire. All over the known inhabited world, Jewish people were scattered from one end of the inhabited world to the other, learning their language for hundreds of years. And so we see the hand of God here. Centuries before the day of Pentecost, the hand of God through the leadership of the Spirit and inspiring the prophets to predict this sent the judgment of God in carrying away the people of Israel to the far-flung corners of the world. He prepared 700 years earlier and 600 years earlier. He was preparing for the day of Pentecost because here's the result. Men from all over the country were in Jerusalem. I mean, the world were in Jerusalem. Why were they all over the world? The hand of God did this hundreds of years before. So the gospel message could reach men from all over the world because of what the Holy Spirit and God had done centuries before. 3,000 of them became believers. 3,000 of them became believers. Then went home. They went home to the far-flung corners of the world with a newfound Christ and a newfound message. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And to limit it just to what happened on that day, we realized there was a lot more going on here. The timing of the Holy Spirit then and centuries before prepared for this day. So now the church, 120 folks it says, are not tasks with the work of reaching the world, now you have 3,000 people one day. 3,000 people because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, look even closer. And the importance of the details, that's where, as you talk about the critics of the Bible, will say, well, the Bible has a lot of mistakes in it because uh, all nations weren't present there because you had, of course, the other continents. When it says from every nation under heaven, you look at that word, and the word in the the English language is nation. When we talk about nations, we think about borders, capitals, political. But the word nation there in the original Greek is ethnos. It's the word from which we get the term ethnic group. So quite literally, if you want to read it as the original Greek, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every ethnic group under heaven. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, you know the word he used? Ethnos. The same word, ethnic group. He didn't say you go to all the countries. He said you go all to people groups. All of the people groups, ethnic groups. And we see all of them here. You see Romans. That would be Europeans. 
That would be people like us, that look like us. You had Hebrews, Arabians, and Egyptians. You, of course, had the olive-skinned people. The Parthian Empire went all the way to what? China. So for them to mention the Parthian Empire means there were people all the way from the Orient there. And, of course, the Elamites. You do a little bit of homework, and you see the Elamites were in southern Iran. Specifically, there's mention throughout the Bible, the palace in Shushan. Archaeologists have uncovered artwork from that region, Shushan, the Elamites, southern Iran, and it reveals that the population of the Elamites were black. So we have white folks, we have olive-skinned folks, we have oriental people, we have, of course, uh, the black brethren over there, all over the world. You say, well, wait a minute, it says they were, they were Hebrews. Oh, there's another word here, proselytes. Proselytes. You know what that is? That were non-Hebrew people that were devout Jews that had come in to the worship of the one living God. They were all present. So we understand every racial group represented in the world today was present on the day of Pentecost. And the timing of the Holy Spirit reached them in one day. What they thought should take years and decades happened in one day. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. And that is not limited to just one day's work. It was in the making for centuries. Now, I mention this because we're involved in the same work. And I take comfort knowing that the Holy Spirit is still working behind the scenes beforehand, years before we ever showed up here, to do the work of the church. Well, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in what they preached. If you look in verse 16, Peter says, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. But also, you see in verse 25, it says, For David says concerning him. What, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with Old Testament scriptures. And, of course, that's the what. Now it's the so what. Well, the so what is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and you, you get the idea then that the Holy Spirit has been working on behalf of the church for a long time because they presented Jesus Christ through the Old Testament scriptures. They testified of Christ with the biblical perspective of Jesus as presented by the prophets and Psalms. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Listen to this. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That was far before the day of Pentecost. They had scriptures to read. They had testimony of Christ because the Holy Spirit worked for centuries before the day of Pentecost. So in order to limit the work of the Holy Spirit to some sudden revival and emotional upheaval, 
is just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more going on here. And the Holy Spirit was working to give them scriptures to preach. What they could not do is also revealed here. And this is the beautiful work of the Holy Scripture. They could do what God had asked them, to be faithful witnesses, to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we look in verse 37, as he was completing his sermon, it says, Now when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the promise is to you and your children, to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then they who gladly received his word were baptized. That day were about 3,000 souls were added unto them. Here's what they could do. They could faithfully preach. They could present a positive witness for Jesus Christ. But what they could not do is convict hearts. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is John chapter 16, verse 8, he will convict the world of sin. Now, there are different words. I believe the, New, the King James says reprove, other English translations, but the original Greek says this, he will convict the word, world of sin. Who's doing the convicting? Jesus is. I don't have to worry about convicting. You don't have to worry about convicting. We just are faithful in what God has called us to do, and he promises to convict. Now, this is not a New Testament principle and doctrine. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We all know, of course, of King David. And King David sinned very hideously with Bathsheba. The 51st Psalm reveals his prayer to God in dealing with this sin. And there's a detail here that we want to notice. In the 51st Psalm, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. Now there's the prayer. And here is the reason that prayer could be prayed. My sin is always before me. What is that? Conviction. Conviction of sin. Well, look in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, the Holy Spirit was present in the life of David. The Bible says that. The Holy Spirit was present in the life of David. We don't see David having a revival an upheaval of emotion. We don't see David having an unbridled success. What we see is a broken man. We see a man who is crushed and he says, I can't get my sin off of my mind. It's always before me. Who did that? The Holy Spirit. Because naturally speaking, politically speaking, he was untouchable. He was above the law of the land. There was no way the law of the land was going to punish him for what had happened. He got free I mean, he, he committed adultery. He caused a man to be murdered. The law of the land couldn't touch him. He was a free man. Not with the Holy Spirit in work. So the Holy Spirit did what nobody else could do, and that is to convict him of his sin. And that's the Holy Spirit that helps us today in our work of the church. 
Now, the end result of the Spirit's work. You see a lot of things going on here. You see the outpouring of the languages, the tongues. You see, of course, the people coming together. You see all of these people being at the right place at the right time. What happened? It says, with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them and said, Be saved. And that day, 3,000 people came to know Christ. Believers testify of Christ. God's word, the spirit-inspired word is presented. Hearts are convicted and people are saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was going on long before this day. And the, works is, the work is still going on. Now, this is where we close. The church's message hasn't changed. A lot of ch has changed in the last 2,000 years. But the church's message has not changed. In its purest form, it's this. Repent and be saved. Repent because sin is present in all of us. But because of the work and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we faithfully witness the gospel message. There's a way for you to be saved. There's a way that, that you can have hope. Regardless of our sins, God has made a way through Jesus Christ. The message has not changed. There's a sin to be accounted for, but there's a Savior who can take that sin away. And the work of the church is to present this message to you. What you do with that message is your responsibility. You have the choice to repent and be saved or go on like you always have. For those who are already saved, members of a church, sometimes you get discouraged seeing how things are going on. doesn't look like anything's happening in the church. Well, you take heart. The Holy Spirit's at work. The Holy Spirit's been at work. And whether or not we say a spontaneous revival today or the next week, he's still working. Our job is not to drum up a revival or try to bring about conviction. Our job is to faithfully Live a positive witness for Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit take the rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day of Pentecost. So much on this day. We ask that you'd help us to glimpse even just a part of what the Holy Spirit was doing leading up to this day and after this day. I thank you that we're a part of this work that continues today. May we faithfully find our place in your plan. Faithfully be positive witnesses reach the world immediately around us, and be a part of reaching the entire world, every people group, with the love of Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and may God bless you.